so my message today um, is called God's List Setting Up for His Work. This is actually part two. So I actually started our series um, during Spanish camp meeting. There was four of us. It was Beverly, myself, Pastor Kim, and his wife. Uh, that was our church service that day. So I'm going to be reviewing a little bit um, so it doesn't seem out of place here. Um, but what we're going to focus on is specifically this week is Acts 6. Um, but I want to kind of start with this question. Um, how many of you know what God's love is? Show of hands. You guys know? Okay. Yeah, we kind of have an idea of what it is. Um, but what I kind of want to think about this is how many of you know what walking with him is like? Because there's a lot of different, I don't want to say definitions, but there's a lot of different ways of looking at walking with God. And I kind of want to ask, do these two things have something in common? So I want you to think about this, and I want to kind of highlight this by kind of you know, looking up our mission. So we've all heard this is Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you can kind of see that there's a clear connection with doing something repeatedly, so kind of like a daily walk, but also showing God's love. So this is an interesting way to think of it, but I want to make sure that we're all connecting this, because we hear these different verses, we speak about these different verses, but do we actually connect them together and really show, is God's love really that important? Because this is kind of one of those things that preachers come up front and they, they say, God loves you. And you could be sitting there in a pew or a chair and just kind of thinking, yeah, I've heard that a million times. But I really want to put in perspective, how does God's love have to do with our daily walk? So I, I like this imagery here of kind of the, it's called the earth, the sunrise, earth rise, I don't know what I even want to call it. But if you've ever kind of went for a walk at night, have you, have you ever had just kind of like those deep thought moments? Like you're just walking out at night, maybe you're by yourself with your family, you just kind of look up in the sky and you see the stars that were kind of in the back and you kind of think about, you start thinking like those deep, you know, thoughtful questions and you start feeling philosophical about you know, the whole world, what you're doing, about God. And I have a couple of questions that maybe you'll kind of think about. Um, but obviously, there's a quick little thing I want to kind of make sure we kind of understand a couple of things. There, are, I, I, this is not, this is kind of like an all-encompassing question. There's about maybe two different kinds of people in the world. And I want to make sure that we're kind of putting this all in perspective. So you could be going through life, and there's, I want to say there's kind of two different kind of people. Um, there's the Christian, and there's the non-Christian, but there's two different ways that they're kind of, so, so a non-Christian would think that life is supposed to be perfect. We kind of talk about this, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And they kind of say, our life should be good. If God really loves us, he would be with me all the time, and it should be like a nice, well, just kind of not too bad. And as a Christian, we kind of see that and kind of like, my walk with God should be easy. I should be able to have communion with him. I shouldn't have to be challenged to have a relationship with him. And kind of thinking about this, it's kind of like this, like walking with God should be pleasant, thought-provoking, relaxing, or perfect. 
how many guys would love to have your daily walk with God perfect? It'd make it a lot easier, right? <laughs> it'd, make, it'd make you want to get up in the morning, have this, this beautiful thing, you just walk on the beach and it'd just be relaxing. It's kind of like, that's what we, like, we want to retire, we want to live by, like, you know, something that's relaxing and enjoyable and we don't have to worry about things. Um, that's not the only way that God works in our lives. And I kind of put it in this perspective. Because some people are kind of like this, where they're just like, the world is in chaos. Now, I remember there's two different people. There's the Christian and there's the non-believer. And the way that they look at life, so as a Christian, you kind of say, well, God's kind of in our life, and there's always something going to happen. I need to live through stress and trials because that's the only way that I will ever enjoy life. I need to do either the good thing and the bad things, and I have to get the close connection. They're always living like on the edge. Whereas someone who's not a Christian, they say chaos is just what the world is. There's no control over this chaos. They see all these things, and it just meshes all together. So when I see all this confusion, you can kind of really understand why I'm asking, what is God's love? Because obviously we have a view of the world, but if we don't understand who God's, what God's love is, you know, how can we share that and stand up front and say God loves you when there's so much confusion? There's so many people who are just like, just, just almost either almost getting destroyed or you know people who've probably been wiped out by a wave or have been bitten by a shark. You know, there's a lot of things that come with all of this. So there's a better way of kind of, kind of starting a simpler way. Let's really start and just really ask, who is God? And I made this analogy last time I spoke about it and thinking about, you know, how, you know, who is God? So let's say this job, this daily walk with God is kind of a job. Like I'm signing up for this job and I'm going for the interview and I want to understand who I'm working for. And I want to know, because if you work for someone, usually they come up to a point where you're supposed to ask questions for your job, right? So you don't just take a job just because they want you, right? You ask questions. You don't want to join like an evil corporation like Amazon or something like that <laughs> and be like, oh, I didn't know what I was getting into because you didn't ask questions. So you have to ask questions when you're getting into this. And this is like a normal Bible study when you're just getting started. You're asking questions, you know, why am I getting baptized? What's the purpose of the baptism? So these are some kind of questions. So we want to ask, you know, who's in charge? Because that's what's, you know, for whoever's leading this company, whoever's leading this job is in charge, right? They make the decisions of whether or not you get paid or all these other things or what kind of life that you're eventually going to live. So the easiest one that I can come up with is 1 John 4, verses 7 through 8. So I'll read this here. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. So 1 John Chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now put that in perspective of who God is. God is love. So you can't distinguish between love and God because God is love. It says it right here. Because if you don't know God, you don't really know what true love is. 
So when you're away from God or you have fallen away from God, before you knew who God was, did you really know what love was? But once you found out who God was, you understood that there was love behind everything that you went through. But I want to kind of expound upon this a little bit and try and put this in perspective because we have to really understand what this love is. And the easiest one is Genesis 1-1. I want to make sure you guys, you guys all know, so you don't have to look this up, right? It's, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, notice that there's a word there that says God, right? So if you know who God is, anything that has to do with God, because God is love, so if his name is mentioned there, or if he is doing something, it's because he loves it. So you put that in perspective, if God created the heavens and the earth, he created because he loved us. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew that someone was going to make a mistake, and we would be sitting in this room today talking about this and living in a world of sin, but he still did it because he loved us. He could have just said, no, I'm just going to let this go. I know these people are crazy. They're going to make a whole mess of things. But no, he did it because he loved us, and he knew that he would have to sacrifice his son because of this. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he is. So we have to understand who God is. God is love. Another one, and maybe I can have some of you guys look this up for me. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Could someone look that up for me? Exodus 34, 6 and 7. before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children, children to the third and the fourth generation. Okay, so if you put this story into context, so this is happening where Moses wanted to see the glory of God. So, and there's a word in there, um, passed before him. So this is actually, because Moses, or God had told Moses, I will pass in front of you to show you, I can't like stand right in front of you and show you who I am, like physically, but I will pass in front of you and show you who I am, because that's who he is. So when he passed in front of him, all of these things, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, what does this look like? When you're a parent and you are these things, why do you do them? It's for love. You love your child. This is also important when you see this last part, but by no means clearing the guilty. And it goes on to say that it goes on to the fathers and children the fourth. So when you see this, it's not just that he loves us and no matter what we do, there are consequences. And you have that choice if you want to be a part of this grace. You want to be a part of this love. So you can see that God is loving, but he's fair. He doesn't force you to be within this realm of understanding. He allows you to make that decision. So now that we understand who he is, we understand that. 
So now the question is, what's the mission? Because obviously when you work for a job, do you just sit around and do nothing? Usually you have to do something, right? Unless you're like a rich millionaire or something like that, and you just have other people do it for you. But God has a mission for us. So when you have you know, kind of understood this, you, the next question, once you understand who the boss is, you understand, okay, so what are my responsibilities? What am I actually going to be doing? You know, day to day. And that's those kind of questions that you ask in an interview, right? So you know, when you came here, did you ask, did you just kind of just like, you know, I guess I'll work next week or something like that. And did you ask questions? Yeah, of course. Of course, we all ask questions. And we go there and we think about, okay, so is this something that I really want? So God tasks us with a mission. And this mission is really important. And this is part of the three angels' message. Um, I'll read this. It says, then I saw another angel, so this is Revelation 14, 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying into the midst of heaven, having everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. So notice that this takes it back to the original verses of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, all of creation. And notice that when we see that God is here, we know that God is love. So now that we've understood who God is, why he created the world, he brings it all together and it says, you need to share this. Because there's people out there who like that big crashing wave need to hear what God's love is, who his character is. And when you start thinking about character and you start putting this all into perspective, you kind of have to ask the question, do we actually want to be a part of this? Because it comes down to the decision. They can offer you the job, but it's up to you to accept it. They can offer you, hey, we want you to have this job, but you have to understand, do you want this? What are you agreeing to? We have this choice. God does not force us. Once we've accepted this, this task, now comes the reality. Satan clouds this reality with sin. You look at kind of the first part where Satan is tricking Eve. He manipulated God's word. This is where we get this misunderstanding of who God is. We are, when you think about you know, where God is telling Moses that you will be inflicted upon this from generation to generation, we have that, but tenfold all those manipulations all those things are created in a way that it's just so manipulative that we kind of don't really see who god really is so it's almost like if we want to be a part of this we have to understand truly who god is we have to take the time to understand before we start doing these things and once we accept this we have to understand that once we do that satan takes us as an opportunity we talked about in the, some of the Sabbath school lessons that Satan is like a lion seeking whom he may devour. In that perspective, in that analogy, when you think about a lion, what do they do before they attack their prey? They stalk it. They wait. They wait for that moment. And in that moment, you may be your weakest. You're getting away from everyone else. And at that moment, Satan will attack you because now you're accepting that you don't have control, but God does. 
And what's the biggest thing that Satan uses? Selfishness. That selfishness is what we have kind of inherited. When you look at those original sin, what was the temptation? It was to be selfish. It was to be like God. So those original deceptions are God's not who you think he is. God's love. And you can do this for yourself. Self, these are literally the biggest things that we struggle with. The, the core of all of our sins is selfishness and not understanding who God is. Blaming him for some of the problems that we have. And we talked about in the Sabbath school lesson. It's, it's usually Satan. So I want to think about this task that we're given. You know, what does this look like? Because we can accept this. We're all Christians here. I think we're all baptized here, I think. And we've kind of been given this task to do something. And for the world that we live in, we have to look at it realistically. We can't look at it from a perspective of, this is just going to be okay. Once I, if you've ever heard anyone that they were baptized, what was it like? It wasn't easy. You felt, sometimes you even felt disconnected from God. You felt like, I thought I would be good. I thought I would be fine. But in reality, we have struggles. And we can't deny that. We can't just say that once we are Christian, everything will be okay. Because that's just diffusing about what we live in now. We live in a sinful world. We can't ignore that. We can't just live through life thinking that we will be okay no matter what. Because there are going to be times where Satan attacks us. There will be people that attack us. And we can't forget that. And I want to read, I have a couple verses here. I have a couple of you guys look up. So I have three verses I'd like us all to look up. So can I have someone look up 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. 2 Timothy, uh, maybe Tony, could you look that up? Yep. Um, Susan, could you look up 1 John 4, 9 through 11? And then, uh, Jerry, could you look up Acts 1, verse 14? All right, Tony, whenever you're ready. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, right? Chapter 2, 1 through 3. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in this presence of many witnesses and enters to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. All right, so before we get to those other verses, this really, like, puts it in perspective. So they're calling us to be soldiers. But not only that, you know, they're calling us to be with Christ. And all these, you know, if you just read like those first couple lines, but you don't read like that second part, you could be deceived. This is something that Satan likes to do sometimes. If you don't read that whole thing. Because in reality, there's going to be hardships. Now in the original Garden of Eden, if they had followed through, they wouldn't have had to endure this. That would make sense. But now we have to understand and realize we live in a sinful world, and there's going to be hardships. So that question of enduring hardships 
is it really important for us to make sure we understand? Because I'm going to, this next couple of verses we're going to read are going to kind of show this flowerly part of this Christian walk that sometimes we try and focus on, but don't really look at the hardship part. So why don't we read um, this next one? So 1 John 4, 9 through 11. This was manifested the love of God toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, God so loved us, that we also ought to love one another. So this is like one of those things like, oh, this is so inspiring. But if you don't put it into perspective, there's going to be some hard times, and we can't forget that because this is where we live. And I'm going to say this over and over again. This is really great and it's very inspiring. But like I said, if you're just sitting in the pew and just hearing that over and over again, but then you have this idea of, oh, I need to live like this and everything will be perfect. You can't think like that. So when you think about someone like Joseph, you know, he, could have, he was living like this perfect life, but then he was thrown into slavery. But we know from Ellen White, he made a decision from that point forward when he was captured, that he would trust God. Now, the reason I want to talk about Joseph is there's an important part that we forget about Joseph. What kind of dream did he have before he went to, before he was captured? Did he be praised by who? Right. And he had that dream twice. This is a promise. He had a promise he could stand on. That's why he made that decision, because God provided something. Even though he's going through something, he had something that he could trust God with. And that doesn't come easy. He still had to have a relationship with God. He still had to have some kind of connection with God to be able to have that comfort. So that decision that he made was not just because he decided. It's because he had that relationship with God, and he knew that one day, no matter how long it took, he would see his family again. Because the family had not bowed down to him yet. Now, when they actually bowed down to him, they didn't realize who he was. But you can really see that when he was crying, he was crying because this, this fulfilling of God had not just brought his family back to him, but God was there with him the entire time. Even though he went through all these things, he knew that slavery wasn't good, right? If you're being shackled and you're traveling across to Egypt, what good things are going to come your way? Probably not good, right? <laughs> Probably death, right? But in reality, he didn't have to fear death because it wasn't time yet. But I want us to understand, he accepted that there was going to be bad things that will happen to him. I mean, he's in a bad situation right now. But he understood that the part of life is that there's sin in this world. But God will still be there for you. All right, so we'll go to this next verse here. Acts 1. Yeah. He was also to you in the Lord. He was also to you in the form of prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, so this is from Acts 1. Um, when you put this story into perspective, it's kind of like what we as a church try to aspire to be. But if we take this verse and don't realize that a lot of these people are going to suffer, 
Like we can look at this original verse here and say, oh, this is great. This is what we all need to do. We need to get together and everything will be great. But in reality, they knew just as Jesus was crucified, they may be in that same boat eventually. So when you kind of see this, we can look at these verses and say, oh, this is what we need to do. But we have to also understand and accept the fact there's going to be some trials and tribulations that we have to go through. So this next verse I'm going to read here, it's uh, Acts 2, 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, as one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the other with other tongues, and the Spirit of God gave them utterance. These are all amazing things, right? These are all things that we, we want to happen like today. We want this to happen right now. But if we only read this part of God's Word, we will not be prepared to stand for the hardships that will come. When you look at this story, what, hap- what did the people think of them when they start seeing them speaking in tongues? They thought they were drunk. They thought they were crazy. So we can kind of start seeing you may have something that you may have to deal with right away. I mean, they're all doing the right things, right? But these people are still coming up to them and saying, oh, you guys are just fishermen. You don't know what you're doing. And you're probably drunk. This is, I want you guys to understand something. You stand out. And you stand up for God. So that's where the hardship starts coming. Because Satan does not like you following God's path. He doesn't want you to be helping people. So now we're getting to Acts 6. So in Acts 6, I'm going to just read 8 through 9. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs, among the people. Then there arose some of them what is called the synagogue of freed, of the freedmen, Syrians, Alexandrians, and those from Scythia and Asia, disputing with, with Stephen. Now we're, so, so now we're getting into, um, I think chapter 6 and, and 7 are, of Acts are really bring together the full picture uh, from the best to the extreme. So you're safe at this beginning part, but then to this extreme where this is probably the worst thing that could happen to you, don't you think? Dying? Because if it's happening to someone else, at least you could help or at least pray for them. But if you're dead, what can you do after that? Nothing. There's nothing you can do. So we can go from this beginning part to this end part. So we're kind of getting like an interesting clip, you know, you know, kind of view of what a Christian walk is like once you're working with God. And I want you also to kind of think about this. You know, in the end of, in chapter 7, he had this great speech, but there was a terrible ending to it. But once you put this in perspective, if you only see it one way, you tend to forget that God can use anything. Who was there when he was being stoned? Paul. 
And honestly, I think that there's a part of, when you look at the sermon that Stephen gave, and you look at how Paul actually writes his letters and talks to different people, it's actually kind of similar in how he does it. So for me, I feel like there's a part of Saul, even at that point, that that sermon still resonated with him. And it stuck to his heart. This is why God picks Saul, to continue. And then obviously this other benefit that we get from Stephen's dying is ourselves. We see this amazing picture that he walks through like this beginning of time and he points it to Jesus. And if he wasn't doing this, if he wasn't inspired by God, we may never hear of this story. He may have just been continue on in his work. And we may not have heard about, he may not have a part in this, but he just might have died of old age or something like that. But there's this part of this story that's interesting for us to kind of put in perspective of how much do we love God? How far are we willing to go? But I want to understand who Stephen was. Because again, we could look at Stephen as just this one singular character, but we have to understand where he is coming from. Why is he doing these things that he's doing? So, because to get this full spectrum, we have to understand what God's love is, right? That's the whole question that we're trying to figure out here. So, by kind of looking at who Stephen was and how he understood God's love, we can kind of see where we fit into this. So, why don't we go to Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. So, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in a daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. But we give what we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, Stephen is among the few chosen to kind of help and serve. You kind of think of him as like a deacon or even like an elder. Um, so when you kind of see this, even Stephen is doing miracles. Because we read about that before, right? That's the kind of connection that these people had with God. But notice when they are walking with God, it doesn't matter who they are, the gospel is always there. No matter what they're doing, no matter how they're serving others. I mean, you could think, oh, he's just supposed to be helping with the daily distribution of bread and helping you know, the elderly and the, the widowed and stuff like this. But in reality, when he's doing this, he can't help himself but to share the gospel. This is the walk that we're talking about. There's something about this walk that we fail to remember. We must love God as well. Because I could do this job, but if I don't like who I'm working with, I'm, 
wouldn't you get some kind of at least like resentful? Like if you didn't love God and he's telling you to do all these things and you're doing it resentfully, how much longer are you going to stay with him? Not very long. So he has to like love God to be a part of this. And notice that it's talking about, you know, it says that you know, find someone who you know, are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You know, they chose him very specifically because they knew that Stephen couldn't keep it to himself. He had to share. And that's a perfect part for Stephen to play. You know, he loved sharing not just food and helping us, he liked sharing the gospel. So this daily walk really puts it into perspective, how much do you love God? So in Acts 2, verses 5 through 11, um, I want us to kind of, again, put this in perspective. This is, I'm actually not going to read this whole thing. This is where we already talked about, you know, they were, they're asking who the disciples were. You know, they're just, you know, Galileans. They're not really from anything. They're, on, but they're able to speak all these languages. When you, again, I want to make sure that you, Understand. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Do you love God so much that you would stand out from a crowd? Do you love God so much that you would go home or go to a home making sure that all that is all that who need to eat could eat? Do you love God so much that people are drawn to you to know God better? Recognize that your sorry that your face actually they actually said that. Stephen's face glowed like an angel at one point. Do you love God so much that you would lay down your life? This is an interesting story. And to put it into from start to end, you kind of see that there's a reason for everything, but also this love goes both ways. You can do God's work, but if you don't love God, there's no point. And that's what we we're kind of talking about. God gives us a choice. You know, we can, he loves us no matter what, but we have the choice to love him. That's who God is. So when it comes to doing his work, the best way to do it is to find that love for God. Now, when you have a relationship and you don't love the person, what kind of relationship is that? It's not a relationship. You don't want to do things for them. You don't want to help them. But the difference between that and God is he does not care. He loves you no matter what. It's unending. If you ever do a study about God's grace, it comes to this point where you kind of understand that there is so much grace that there's not just just enough grace, there's more than enough grace to cover everything. That's the kind of God that he is. I like telling kind of stories, um, so because some, we didn't have a children's story, but I wanted to share a little bit of a story. So I like writing little stories. So this is one I wrote yesterday. So just try and bear with me. So it's called the perfect burger. Now I don't know about you, but I love burgers, real or fake. And I just you know, it's good to have a burger every once in a while, right? Every once in a while, is that right? Just every once in a while. <laughs> but it's just one of those things where the, like when I was actually looking at this burger, when I was looking for the picture, I'm like, man, I really want a burger right now. 
So, but I also want to think about this idea of food trucks. You guys know what food trucks are? All right, so they're great if they're good at one thing because it's a small enclosed place, right? So you can't win your audience or your customers by having variety because you don't have enough room to hold all the ingredients. You don't, can't do all these things. You can't have different cooking equipment. You only have what you have. And it's a great to have just one item that you're really good at because then when you think about it, it's like you go to a taco truck, right? You don't go to a taco burger, hot dog food truck, right? You go to something that's really good. So I have a story about this person named Danny. Danny loved burgers, but not just any burger. There was a special vegetarian burger his dad had made when he was younger, and he kind of taught him what, how to make it, and he, was really, he really wanted to do something, but he couldn't, he couldn't afford to start making that burger because it, it would take a lot of work. So I don't know if you guys know this, but my first veggie burger that I ever had was a Morningstar Griller. Um, and if, if I had to compare it to any another kind of burger, it's kind of like a terrible smash burger. Do you guys know what a smash burger is? So it's a burger that they start cooking, but then they smash it for whatever reason. I don't particularly like them. But, but when you kind of put this in perspective, so, but the thing about this is to actually make the burger that he wanted to make, it would take a whole group of team people to actually do all of this work because you had to get those fresh ingredients, you had to, you had to prepare it, you had to get up early in the morning, and he didn't have the help that he was going to do. So he, he still wanted to be able to share some kind of burger recipe with people. So he did what he could, he got a small business loan, and he started to make something with a Morningstar Griller. But he, he wanted to make sure that it tasted good. So he did his research, he got like special spices, some, you know, some sauces to make the burger with, and he made sure he had the freshest ingredients fresh lettuce, you know, fresh tomatoes, all those things that make an amazing burger, even though it's just a grill. And people seem to like it. You know, it's not every day that you get a griller that tastes really good, because usually you're just warming it up in a microwave or something. <laughs> but, you know, there's people started eating this burger, like, oh, this is really good. I started sharing about this burger. People started coming. Um, but with the burger business, especially vegetarian burgers, it's never good enough. <laughs> Nothing's ever good enough to get that real great amazing taste that's not meat. So eventually he started hearing about something like a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger. Well, he's like, you know what? I want to make sure, I really want to serve this real burger that my parent, or this, this vegetarian burger that I still don't have the right amount, but I have enough money now that I'm going to start using this Beyond Burger. And he did the same thing. He even got better buns. They had like sesame seeds on top, so it tasted really good. He had different sauces, different way of making, making sure he didn't like burn it. Because I don't know if you guys ever had burgers that are fake and they just cook them all the way through and it's just like eating a griller again. So he made sure that it was cooked just right and that he was able to be able to serve the best burger he could share. And people loved it, you know, just like people like Beyond and the Impossible Burgers now. And they, they started sharing. He actually made flyers, and the customers were like sharing the flyers, and they were doing all these things. And he was really creating this business. But there was this one day, you know, he started thinking to himself, and he went home, and he started thinking to himself, you know, I feel like I'm keeping something from him because I know this recipe is better than all those other burgers because it's so much fresher. It's so much better. He actually went back to his home and he pulled out this old recipe book with the original recipe inside. And he started reading it and he started understanding like, 
I've got to do something. I've got to be able to share them because I feel like I'm not giving them what they really need, what they actually deserve. I feel like they feel like they're getting like the best burger, but I'm keeping the truth to myself. So we finally decided, you know what? He's going to call his dad. Dad, I want to make this burger, but I can't do it by myself. It's like, okay. And he says, you know, you could have told me, called me from day one, and I would have I have some friends. They love making food, and they could have helped you out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call these guys that are going to come over, and I'm going to teach you. And once a week, we're going to come together, and we're going to talk about what's going on. We're going to practice doing this burger together because it's a lot of work. You can't just do it by yourself. So that's what they started doing. They started out. It wasn't perfect because it's hard to make a burger from scratch. To form it, make sure the ingredients are right, make sure there's just the right amount of you know, different seasonings inside the burger. Because when you make a vegetarian burger from scratch, you, you can't just get a can of like vegetarian burger, open it up, form the patty, and just throw it on the grill. You can, but it doesn't taste very good. <laughs> so you have to put some things in there, and you have to cook it right. You have to get the right temperature. Because if you just burn the outside and the inside's all raw, it doesn't taste good. So they practice and they practice. And once a week they got together, they compared notes. They said, you know, I tried this at home. I shared this with my wife. They, they seem to like it, but I think it needs to be a little bit more refined. So finally they did all of this work and they finally were able to share this amazing burger. They even figured out a ways to like steam the bun and they got it so perfect and this ketchup was like homemade and the mustard was homemade and the the cheese was actually vegetarian cheese. He never tried vegetarian cheese and it was like, it was just amazing. So maybe you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Because there are times during this story where people might burn something. It was hard. They had to get up early. Sometimes people would, they would complain or they would start gossiping about, oh, they, they're, they're trying this new burger, but it's not going to be great. And you can kind of see that this relationship with God we think about the original recipe. We think about the Garden of Eden. When we live on this earth, it's not going to be like that until Jesus comes back. To be able to fulfill God's message, we have to understand there's going to be hard work. God actually cursed us to work the ground. He told us, you're going to have to do some stuff because if you don't, you won't be able to connect with me. Satan has deceived you, but if you don't put in the work, you will always be deceived. Take some time. Ask for help. Let other people help you. So you notice Danny in the story, throughout the most of the story, he was doing it by himself. You can share the gospel by yourself, but after a while, you get tired. You get exhausted. And you know there's something better. You know that the thing that you're sharing, it's okay. It's uh, kind of like a, a vegan you know, gospel or something we want to call it. It's kind of like, kind of like the gospel, but it's not the real thing. This real thing is God's love. God's love needs to be about everything. We have to love God. We have to love that original recipe that he created for us. And we have to go to him and ask him, God, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. You have to take me and mold me into something better. Mold me into something that you want and you know people will relate to, people will want to share, people will come to you, 
people, it, you, you will do things in ways that you don't even understand. We are told, at least as far as heaven's concerned, it's something that even greater than we could even imagine. That's why you have these illustrations of golden streets that are clear. I don't know if you guys have ever seen gold. It's not clear. I want you guys to think about that's how he had to describe it because he couldn't describe it in what it actually was. I'm going to read this final text here, or this final uh, quote here. It says, though this is from Steps to Christ, it says, God is love is written upon every opening bud, upon every spire of springing grass. The lovely birds making air, the air vocal with their happy songs, the delicately tinted flowers in their perfection perfuming the air, the lofty trees of the forest with their rich foliage of living green, all testify to the tender fatherly care of our God and to his desire to make his children happy. So when you think about the reality of all of this, you know, it talks, we always talk about God's love, but we have to also love God too. When you're in the Garden of Eden, there was a choice. We constantly have to fight that choice. Do I trust God like Abraham trusted him? Do we trust God like Joseph trusted him? Do we trust God like Moses trusted him? Do we trust God like Stephen trusted him? And the only reason that they did that was because they loved God. Take time to love God. Take time to know who he is. Study up on that original recipe and see what he has in store for you because it's even better than what you're actually reading. That's what we have to remember. There's going to be hardships, but that's because that's the world that we live in. We can never forget that. We also have to remember these quotes. The desire to make his children happy. That's all God wants for us, to be happy and with him. Why don't we start, why don't we close with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this message. Thank you for us giving us time to understand who you are and what your love is. Lord, it's important for us to know who you are and not just that we understand that you're love, but that we actually love you as well. Lord, give us the time, give us the patience. Lord, humble us. Lord, if there's trials in our way, Lord, we know that you have promised that we can handle them all with you by our side. Lord, please be with us and let us be able to share your word with others. In your gracious name, amen. Mm -hmm.